Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Taking a break this Sunday from our study in 1 Peter to look at the end of Romans 11. As Paul concludes his theological portion of this letter to the Romans, he writes this in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable. His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. As you think about your home or perhaps even this building in which we are this day has many different parts to it. You have the foundation that goes into the ground. You have the framing for the walls. You have the ceiling joists for the roof. You have the electricity for the lights. You have the pipes for the water and etc. Each part of your home is essential to make a house. But not all parts are equally glorious, are they? So when someone says, I love your house, they are probably not referring to the foundational footers, or to the wall studs, or to the sewer pipes. Rather, they are speaking of the layouts and decorations and what you have done with the space inside and out. The things that are visible, the things that are noteworthy. As we come to the scriptures, we say that the whole of the Bible is essential. Every part is necessary and needed. All of it makes up the complete revelation of God. All is necessary, as Paul says in 2 Timothy, to teach, rebuke, correct, and train in righteousness. And so as Reformation people, as Sola Scriptura people, we are committed to the whole of the Word of God. And even though every part is necessary and all is needed, we would say, like your home, not every part is equally glorious. I highly doubt this week you had deep meditation into the genealogy portions of Scripture or perhaps studied the ceremonial law. Needed? Necessary? Yes. Deeply Profound or impactful upon your lives? Probably not. Yet there are other scriptures that are truly centerpieces of the word of God. That are glorious, so glorious and so amazing that we can never plummet the depths of them. As we come to Romans chapter 11 and this end section, 
verses 33 through 36. In verse 36 in particular, we come to such a verse. In 18 words, it summarizes all of existence, its source, its means, its ends. The truth thereof is so tightly compacted together that to unravel it all would be an impossibility. Because to do so would be to try to unravel God himself and all of his work. In a word, these verses and this verse in particular sums up the Bible. It is a thesis statement of the scriptures themselves. And Paul essentially does it with three prepositions. From, through, and to. And as philosophers over the years have argued and debated on what is the non, that is the Latin phrase that literally means without which nothing, without which nothing could be, without which there is nothing. In trying to determine what is the essential condition or what is the essential cause of it all, Paul, in a sense, wraps up this theological section in the book of Romans with the synchronon, the that which is the existence, the essential cause of it all. And he leaves no doubt as he enters into this doxology, as he enters into this praise of this glorious truth that all things are from God and through God and to God. To God be the glorious. This day as we celebrate our past, our history, we celebrate the Lord's faithfulness and kindness and how He has led us and how He will lead us forward. And it is right for us to pause, to put our other study on hold for one Sunday to remember that without God there is truly Nothing. Without God, we would be nothing. And therefore, He deserves our admiration. He deserves our thanks. He deserves our glory and our praise. Again, as Paul concludes, to God be the glory forever. Amen. And so we'll look at this scripture. And three points, all focused upon the God in which we praise. We see that God is the all-encompassing one, the all-sufficient one, and the all-glorious one. First, the all-encompassing one. Quick context as we begin. We come, as I mentioned, to the doctrinal section of the book of Romans, to which many commentators have said that this is The book as a whole, the greatest theological treaty in the entire New Testament. One commentator says these are the truths that have brought about the Reformation and the revival of the church. And Paul has laid out in Romans the condemnation of the entire human race, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, of sanctification, of election. This is the glorious book in which Martin Luther said that his conversion was brought about by the first chapter of Romans chapter 1. 
And so Paul here lays out the whole plan of God, the whole redemption of God's people, of his salvation. And he voices his praise to this God. To the God who has made all of this possible. Paul goes from theology to doxology as if he cannot contain himself any longer because these truths are too great, too glorious. We see it and hear it in his voice, do we not? In verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Likewise, he quotes Isaiah here and asks these rhetorical questions. Who has known the mind of God? Who has been his counselor? Who can give a gift to God that he does not already have? And the answer is obvious. Nobody. And that is why Paul goes on to give this great statement. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. This all-encompassing purpose statement. And not only is all things from and through him, but existence itself is because of this truth. Indeed, as he says, all things and all truly here means all. It is all-inclusive. There is no limits to what Paul includes here. Everything that we can see, touch, smell, taste, and hear is because of God Almighty and His great work. Listen how to the, the Westminster Confession of Faith puts it. God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of Himself and is alone in and unto Himself all sufficient not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto. He is the alone foundation of all being, of whom things through whom and to whom are all. He is the most sovereign to do by them, for them, or unto them whatsoever himself pleases. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, independent from the creatures, so as nothing is contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsel, in all his work, and in all his commands. To him is due from all angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, obedience. He is pleased to require of them. You hear what our forefathers are trying to say that when we talk about God, as we talk about theology proper, we are putting God in a category all by Himself. That we are not allowed to have this thought that we and God, well, we're really not that far apart. There's not too much distinction between us and the Almighty God. No, we cannot have this Tower of Babel complex that. We are as God or even gods ourselves. No, we say that there is a creator-creature distinction. And that distinction is not even quantifiable. He is God. And that we 
are not. And even those things that we share in common, those attributes that he shares with us, that we reflect of him in the Imago Dei, the image of God, that of his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Even those things that we somewhat reflect, we only reflect in parts. Because we also truth, truth, we also confess that he possesses those things infinitely, eternally, and unchangeable. And so as we approach this holy God, we truly come upon sacred ground. And there should not be a commonality, a casualness to it. Honestly, as we think about this God, there should be a little bit of uncomfortableness to us. We approach a being who is not like us. And as a result, there should be a holy fear, a trepidation. We should not trod where angels fear to tread. Because there is an overwhelming, all-encompassing, all-consuming presence to God. If you've ever been to the famous cathedrals of Europe, then you know what I'm speaking of. Our choir master, Jim, and his wife, Lisa, are probably enjoying these wonderful cathedrals even right now. And these cathedrals and their architecture is so grand and so lofty that it's natural for your eyes to be drawn upward to their lofty heights. Your your head naturally goes up because that's where your eye is drawn to. And as you look up, you sense in part your smallness, your finiteness, because this architecture looms so large and has a sense of presence to it. And in those cathedrals, you don't have to tell people to be quiet. Because naturally, as your eyes go up, your mouth goes closed. Because words seem inadequate. In a sense, they seem unnecessary. And we in the Protestant and Reformed tradition, both for spiritual and practical reasons, have kept our meeting places simple. So as not to be distracted, so as to keep our focus on the spiritual things, to worship in spirit and in truth, things that are unseen, as well as because, well, we just tend to not spend that much on our buildings. Which isn't altogether bad, but I wonder if in that we have lost the grandeur of God. And so as we think and meditate upon God this morning, let me ask you, when is the last time you have paused and just thought deeply about the person and character of God. Just thought about his attributes, who he is, who he has revealed himself to be. When's the last time you have adored him? You know, we, we tell our children the way that we're supposed to pray is, is by the means of acts, right? That that uh, acronym, 
adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. That first letter is A for adoration. And if we're honest, that's probably the toughest one. The one that we spend the least time on. Why? Because it's so easy, even in our prayers, to be me-centered and self-centered, to think about ourselves and not to think about Almighty God. And yet God is the one that is to be the object, not only of our prayers, but the object of our worship. And sometimes it's right for us to be quiet, to be silent, to be silent in our prayers, not meaning that no one else can hear you. I mean by being silent, by saying nothing. By being so struck with the presence of God, sensing the, the greatness and awesomeness of our God. To, to speak words almost seems, as mentioned before, unnecessary or unneeded. And some might ask, well, is this a proper way to, to think? Isn't this really having a deflated view of self? I'd say to you that this is not a deflated view or a wrong view of self. This is the right view. This is naturally putting ourselves in our rightful place. It is not low thoughts. It's not having low self-esteem or self-deprecating. This is thinking proper thoughts of self in the light of how awesome And great almighty God truly is. And so as the prophet Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 2.20. As the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. It is to this God, this all encompassing one that we approach this morning. Second, he is the all sufficient one. When we confess this truth, oftentimes we are thinking that it means that God is in need of nothing, not deriving or gaining something from anyone or anything outside of himself. And that is, of course, true. But we don't think of the second part of that. That Since God is the all-sufficient one, that he alone is the source of sufficiency for everything. As mentioned before, he is the sin qua non, the, that without which nothing is or nothing exists. He is the sub and substance of everything. He is the all-sufficient one, the all-needed one. He is the alone independent. And as a result, everything else is dependent upon him. And that is exactly what Paul is getting into here when he uses these prepositions from through and to. He is leaving nothing out. That all things are from him. As I said before, all things. As we open the words of Holy Scripture, we see this, do we not? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. His very first acts of revelation. His first introduction is his creation, is his creating power. And as a result, he is the source of it all. And as a result, all of his creation reflects him. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims 
His handiwork. Every day, His creation is declaring and proclaiming His praise. They are declaring who they are made from. They are made with God's fingerprints all over it. But we've grown up in this creation. We are a part of this creation, haven't we? And as a result, we are blinded by routine. And we cease to be amazed at the realities that we get to enjoy every day. The simple realities as we think of them. The sun going up, the sun going down, clouds floating over our heads. Sometimes they rain, sometimes they thunder. Things that we think are just ordinary and mundane, that are no big deal, that are, in a sense, ho-hum. But let me just remind you of a few facts of creation. That the sun, as you know, is 93 million miles from the earth. And being that distance, along with our atmosphere, makes it to be the perfect distance from the sun so that we are not too hot and not too cold. Even though sometimes you might think it is too cold being here in the south and it turns from summer into winter. It's not. It is like Goldilocks said, just right. And the earth also is tilted at such a degree, 23.5 degrees to be exact, which allows for seasons allows for crops to grow. If it was to shift in one direction or the other, it would make the world, or at least a lot of it, uninhabitable. And those clouds that drop rain, sometimes we are grateful for, but other times we grumble and complain against, are an amazing feat. Do you know that it takes 17.4 million gallons of water for it to rain one square inch over a square mile? 17.4 million gallons. That's approximately 26 Olympic-sized swimming pools for it to just get one inch over one square mile. Think of the last rainstorm and how many square miles and how many inches it dropped. And begin to do the math. Or even to think of a strike of lightning. And it is 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Contains 100 million volts of electricity. All pretty mundane stuff, isn't it? Things that we take so for granted. All the while we orbit around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. John Calvin says, we walk as in a theater with God always on display. For all of it comes from him out of nothing. It is truly mind-boggling when you begin to think about it. And he is not just a watchmaker that just started it and then stands back. No, it says, from him and through him are all things. Meaning that he didn't just begin it and then it just runs on his own. No, by his providence, he upholds it. Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. From the farthest unknown galaxy to the smallest particles, 
to the smallest micron, as R.C. Sproul so rightly put it, that there are no rogue molecules in the universe. He says, if there is one maverick molecule in all the universe, then God is not sovereign. And if God is not sovereign, then he is not God. And I can quote those facts to you, and somehow we still think that we stand apart from that. That is true kind of out there. Well, that's not really true of me because I'm an independent agent. I work on my own. I'm the master of my own fate, the captain of my own soul. And if there is a God, well, I'm not sure that I really need him. Or I will let him know when he is needed in times of trouble. Not true, says Paul. It's only through him. Just as we are not the originator of life, we are not the sustainer of it either. God is the source and means of our life. In him we live and move and have our being, Paul says in Acts 17. The same power that creates is the same power that upholds. He upholds all by his sovereign and omnipotent hand. And so he is the all-sufficient one. And again, as we confess that, are we confessing that we look to him to be our sufficiency? Yes, we can confess this truth, right? And believe it to be true, but in all practical purposes, we do not live like this is true. Because we run ourselves ragged. And we fret and we worry and we have sleepless nights. Because we think that it is all upon us. Don't we? And yet we need to be reminded again of that simple message that Jesus taught his disciples. That we're to have a faith like a child. We're to have childlike faith. You know my three year old has very little worries. He doesn't worry about food. He doesn't worry about where he'll sleep. He doesn't worry about clothes that he's going to wear. He doesn't worry about much. Nor should he, because he is a child and he probably just doesn't think about those things because those things are always provided for him. But just think for a moment if he did, if he would stay up and have worries, And worry about if there's going to be enough food for breakfast. Or if there's going to be a house to live in. You would try to come to that child, if he was your own or your grandchild, and you would say, my sweet child, these aren't your worries. Don't worry about these things. And would not the Lord say the same thing to us this morning? Are we any more capable than a three-year-old in the sight of Almighty God. Now, I would say to you that we are less, less than. God provides to us and for us in ways far greater and better, in ways that we can't even understand and comprehend than you provide for your own children or for your own grandchildren. God, indeed, is the Jehovah Jireh, the one that provides We've received all that we need in every situation and in the good and in the bad. For from him and through him 
are all things. And finally, to him, he is indeed the all-glorious one. As I said at the beginning, he is the source, the means, the end. And what is man's chief end? Well, you know the answer to that. To glorify and to enjoy him forever. And even if you didn't, Paul gives you the answer here at the end, doesn't he? To him be the glory. Amen, he says. And this should be the conclusion, shouldn't it? That if he is the source, if he is the sustainer, then he should receive all of the credit. We wouldn't expect anything less. We wouldn't expect anything less of human works or human inventions. That the originator of ideas and inventions deserves the credit and the reward that comes from that work. And so this scripture is saying that all of creation, because it's from him and through him, that it belongs to him. That he should receive the glory, that he should receive the praise and the reward of his creation. That is the right logical conclusion, isn't it? But even as we conclude in that way, logically, we recognize that we, as the chief of his creatures, have not given that which he deserves. That which is owed unto him. The glory that belongs to him. Instead, we have stolen it, we have taken it from ourselves, or given it to another. We have not rendered the service due And what should happen to any thief? Well, any thief should be condemned and they should be judged. And that is true of each and every one of us. And yet, this morning, we do not confess the truth of being judged or condemned. Yes, we are if we're outside of Christ. If you're outside of Christ today, that is your status. But if you are in Christ this day, The status of condemnation and judgment is no longer upon you, but that of salvation and redemption. And so we see, finally, the greatest work, the glorious work of redemption, that work that is summarized in that scripture that we know all too well. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave of his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life this too this salvation is from god it's through god through the lord jesus christ and it is to him it is to his glory and that is the reason why paul breaks into this glorious doxology here at the end and so as we conclude this morning as we begin to think and meditate upon these wonderful and glorious truths when we boil it all down doesn't this verse summarize all of life doesn't this put all of life into a nutshell so to speak what are we doing what are we called to do as creatures of this glorious God we are to give him the glory and praise that is due unto him What is it that we have been called to do for the last 
104 years of God's faithfulness to this church. It is to glorify and to praise Him. What is it that we are called to do as long as He allows us and gives us breath? We are to glorify and to praise Him. That there is no greater work than this. To be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. To follow Him to receive the salvation, to receive the redemption, to now live this life out in the corporate body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called, beloved, to journey together because we're journeying together towards Zion, bringing others along the way. And until we gather together, around the risen and triumphant Christ, we have more days in which to praise and to glorify Him. For that is what you are called to, each and every one of you. And the only way that we can do so is through Him and to Him. And so indeed, this is a day of celebration. But we don't celebrate ourselves. We celebrate our God. Our celebration is to be of God. It's to be God-focused from beginning to end. So let us rejoice. Let us give thanks. Let us praise Him. And what a privilege and honor it is to do so. And as we do, we recognize that it is only made possible. All of it is made possible. From our breath to our salvation to our eternal life. It comes from Him through Him and to Him. To God, indeed, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give You thanks and praise, Lord. Indeed, these truths are too glorious, too great, too all-consuming. As we come into that presence this morning, Lord, it should be a presence that should only strike us with fear and trepidation because that presence should consume us in our sin. But Lord, it does not because of the great work of salvation, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ that has saved and redeemed us. Lord, that is the true and great celebration in which we celebrate this day, that we are and able to be saved. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know that salvation, that they would understand it and receive it this day as a gift that comes to them from the Lord Jesus Christ. And may they join us in that celebration, in that praise. And Lord, in all things, from our worship to our lives to the very breath we breathe, may we do all things to your glory and to your praise. We pray in Christ Jesus, our Savior's name. Amen.